Coming to you from Jonesboro, Tennessee, the storytelling capital of the world, it's Storytown, Jonesboro's original storytelling radio show. I'm Jules Corrier. And I'm your co-host, Rochelle Conley. That's right. Tonight's, yeah, Rochelle. We're so glad to have her back. Now, tonight's show is a little bit different and very special. Our annual salute to veterans always is. It's filled with stories of the men and women who have served our country, some of them in harm's way, but all of them, all of them ready to make the sacrifices necessary to ensure all of our freedoms. We know who some of these veterans are as they proudly wear their hats. I've seen World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, and Desert Storm. I see some in the audience tonight, too. But so many who have served have done so without much recognition. I know that my own father served three tours in Vietnam. My brother served in Bosnia, Kosovo, Serbia, Iraq. In civilian life, my dad wore his loud Hawaiian shirts. And my brother opts for his comfortable jeans and t-shirts. They never really donned the military hat, but their haircuts, which never really changed since their army days, that's the telltale sign of their service. We like to dedicate a show once a year to our veterans to thank them for their service. We never know when we might be walking with or sitting next to these brave soldiers. So whether we know you or not, tonight we want to say thank you. Now, not far from here, just over the visitor center on Boone Street, down the sidewalk, is our community's Veterans Memorial Park. We sat down with Mr. Marion Light, who spearheaded the creation of the Veterans Park. And here's how it all got started that we got from him when we sat down with him and got his story. Well, the concept for the Veterans Park actually began when I was still town administrator. But I ended up retiring before I could really get it started. I was forced to retire due to injuries I had from an automobile accident back in 1996. However, before I retired, the board did give us the property and all of that. A bit later, Mayor Sparks paid a visit to my house. What would it take for you to finish the Veterans Park? Let me appoint the committee, you approve them, and just stay out of our way. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I told them. Even with my injuries, this was a project I really wanted to see all the way through. General Shale gave us the clay brick, Camley gave us a lot of concrete, and different individuals contributed as much as $5,000 each. We raised $100,000 to do the park. I was so proud of all the people who came together to make this a reality. I was in a conversation with Kelly Wolf one day, and he said, I bet if you asked Jimmy Gooch, he'd lay that brick for you. And he did. That Jimmy is one good brick mason. Each of the bricks is four by seven by two inch polished granite. And each brick has the veteran's rank, name, and branch of service engraved on it. And there's 1,700 of them down there now. To qualify, your honoree has to be a veteran that has lived in Washington County, Jonesboro, or Johnson City at one time in their life. Now here's an interesting fact. We have so many down there, but the 1,000th brick we got was Homer G. Feller's dad. He was number 1,000. This would be our own Ann G. Feller's Mason's grandfather, and even when you're not in the show, you're in the show. So now we're at 1,700. People seem to enjoy the park. 
We did our best to make sure it was not just a military park. That's not what we were after. Because it's a place where you can just go and sit and listen to the water when it's on, or listen to the wind when it's not. And maybe, just maybe, read the stories connected to each and every one of them and wonder how we might be connected to them and appreciate what they have done for all of us. Now, let's take a walk down there. It'll be easy to do now that we have the new sidewalks. <laughs> and we're here. See, that didn't take long with those new sidewalks. And as I look around, I see it's a quiet place of contemplation and appreciation. As you enter, you'll notice the bricks you walk across are not ordinary bricks. They're inscribed with the names of service members who served our country um, all the way up through today. Every one of those bricks is more than a name. Each one, it's a lifetime of stories. And if you listen close enough, especially on a night like this, you might just hear their stories. Oh, here we are. I found Hayes Jameson. In World War II, Daddy was in the South Pacific. Back then, when the soldiers came home, the celebration was incredible. The 40s was a different time. It was, and it was a different type of patriotism. I've never seen anything like it. Daddy was part of the local VFW. The Veterans of Foreign Wars? That and the American Legion. For a while, Daddy was even the commander of the local VFW, and Mother was the head of the VFW's Ladies Auxiliary. That meant around Memorial Day, the Buddy Poppies were even more important. Buddy Poppies? Yes, Buddy Poppies. You know, the little red pins? No, I've never heard of them. Well, let me tell you. Girls, are you ready to go? Yes. Coming. Hurry up. You have a lot of buddy poppies to sell. Where are they? They're already loaded in the trunk. I'm ready, Daddy. Let's go. <laughs> all right, girls. Do you have all your poppies? Two boxes. And your money pouch? Right here. All right. We'll be back in a few hours. Wait a minute. They, they just left you there? Well, yeah, to sell the buddy poppies. But you lived in a small town, right? We did, but Daddy would drive us to different towns, sometimes up to an hour away. And leave you? Me and my sister. Every year before Memorial Day, and we'd set up a stand on the street corner and sell buddy poppies. Well, how old were you? We started in elementary school. I don't remember how many years we did it, but it seems like every year as long as I was in school. Did people buy them? Boy, did they. I'll take two buddy poppies, please. Only two? You know, poppies are the official flower of veterans in foreign wars. Yes, I'm aware. Two, please. One for me and one for my husband. What if you lose them? All right, all right. Give me four. <laughs> These sure are pretty. Disabled and in-need veterans made them. They did a mighty fine job. Yes, ma'am, and all of the proceeds go back to them, both the disabled veterans and those living in hard times. That's mighty fine. Can you tell me, what does the ribbon attached to each poppy say? I can't quite make it out. It says, buddy poppy, wear it proudly. Well, I think I will. My boys, too. 
while we wait for their father to come home from overseas. Uh, I'll buy three. And so it went on every street corner in every town every single year. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing a buddy poppy on a lapel. I can't believe I've never heard of them before. Can you still buy them? I bet you can if you call your local VFW. And a special thanks to our Johnson City's VFW for all of our buddy poppies. Well, I think I'll just do that. Maybe we can cover every lapel in our town with red poppies next Memorial Day. Wouldn't that be something? Come to think of it, I wonder if they're poppies because of that old poem. Which poem is that? Well, John McRae's poem, In Flanders Fields, he wrote it in 1915. Because from 1914 to 1918, Flanders Fields was associated with World War I battles in Belgium and France. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Mom, here's this brick. I found it from Joseph Harlick. First generation American, World War II veteran, but his story starts long before the war. I remember his mother telling me their story and Grandpa Joe's story when I was only a few years old. Like G.I. Joe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Joe. I was a GI uh, for a while, but not my whole life. Before I joined up, I was just your average Joe. <laughs> Joseph, turn off the radio and study. But it's the World Series, Mama. Joseph, do you think your father and I escaped Eastern Europe in 1918, fled the pogroms, and that fled our home country where they're massacring our people so you could listen to baseball? We're in America now, where anything is possible. Look at your papa making the most of his life here, fluent in the English. My fifth language. I learned while attending pharmacy school, but once you have the root languages down, like I did, the other languages become easy to learn. Don't play down your skills. It was a great feat. Look at your son and me, only speaking two languages. But your son's Yiddish could be better. She was right. I could have studied harder. But I wanted to be a good American. And baseball is America's game, you know. Well, when I was in high school, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor at the beginning of December 1941. I signed up to serve in the army right away. Turns out, the Yiddish I learned from my parents made it easier to understand German. 
It wasn't long before I was trained to be a scout and I was shipped off to Europe. Now, my outfit was stationed in France where the front lines were in constant flux. It was the dead of winter and I was out past the front lines in enemy territory. I didn't realize I had wandered into a minefield and I took the wrong step and slipped on the ice. I triggered an S-mine, also known as a bouncing Betty. I saw it pop up and turn to shield my face, exposing my right side. From the War Department, Corporal Joseph Ehrlich missing in action. Oh dear, I had training for this, but notification day, Training is different from the real thing, Rabbi. This first day, doing this sort of thing, I'm glad you're here with me. There, there, it'll be okay. There's a first time for everything. The important thing is to be composed and for them in their time of need. Well, Rabbi, when I joined the WAX, this was not what I thought that I was volunteering for. Yeah, and when I became a rabbi, this was not what I thought I would be doing either. <sighs> okay, here goes. Good afternoon. You must be from the War Department. I'm Mrs. Herlick. Won't you please come in? Uh, oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you okay? Let me get you a glass of water. Please sit down. Uh, well, no, no. It, it, please don't trouble yourself. It's just that, well, it's my first day. Oh. I'm Rabbi Cohen, and this is Corporal Weeks. This is her first assignment. I'm afraid it may also be your last. <laughs> You're doing fine, darling. Oh, assignment? This must be about my Joseph. How bad is it? Has he died? Please don't let it be that he's dead. Mrs. Ehrlich, that is not the news we have come to share. Your son is missing in action. Why don't we pray together? When I came to, it was dark and freezing cold. I couldn't move my right arm, my right leg. My whole right side felt like it was on fire, which made no sense since it seemed I was covered in snow. <laughs> that snow may have saved my life. I could hear voices all around me, but not very close. I couldn't quite hear what they were saying or even what language they were speaking. At long last, I heard voices speaking English and I called out to them. Help! Help me! I'm wounded! Here, in the ditch! Who's there? Here! In the ditch, uh, under the snow. I, I can't move. Please help me. Careful, he's in civvies. He could be a German scouting over these front lines. Right, how can we tell? What I, can we ask him? I know. Uh, who won the World Series? <laughs> help me, please. It was the Yankees, of course. Please help. Most valuable player? Oh, help me, please! Oh, Jolton Joe! None better! Please help me! 
Check around my neck for my tags. Here are dog tags. Quick, let's get them to a medifact. Well, they patched me up enough to make the longer trip to the hospital. Hello, Lieutenant Herlick. Welcome to England. I understand you've injured your writing hand, and the hospital has assigned me to help you write home to your family. Oh, thanks so much. They must have been worried sick. Not for long. We've given word to the notification office that you've been located and are safely recovering. They should be bringing the news to your family right away. Oh, Rabbi Cohen, thanks so much for coming with me this time. I, I think it's going to be much easier than my first one. You never know, but we do have happier news this time. I'm glad you've gotten through your first few weeks. Now remember, our feelings should be withheld so we can be of service to the family members who are experiencing all the emotions these messages bring. Brace yourself. Yes, sir, Rabbi. Yes? Oh, no, you're back. He's dead. He must be dead, and that's why you're here. Oh, Papa, my son is dead. Oh, no, 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 Miss Herlick, your son. No, no, he's no, he's no longer missing in action. He's been found, and, and he's injured, but he's in a hospital in England. Here, here, I have a letter for you. This isn't even his handwriting. Why is the army lying to us? There, there, Mama. You've been so strong until now. Let's open the letter and see what it says. <clears throat> Dear Mama and Papa, I apologize if I've caused you too much worry. I slipped on the ice and stepped on a landmine. My right hand and arm are hurt. So a pleasant nurse is writing this letter for me. I'll work hard at getting well quickly so I can come home and apologize in person. Please don't give me trouble about listening to the ball games on the radio all the time. <laughs> Joe DiMaggio saved my life. <laughs> I can't wait to get back to college so I can become a school teacher like you wanted. Love, Joe. Papa? Do you think this letter is from our job? Yes, Mama, I do. We are not in the old country anymore. I'm sure our new country will take good care of our Joe and get him back home to us. I did get home. And when Mama saw me limp through the door under my own power, she cried all afternoon. I bought season tickets to the Yankees. I thought I owed it to Jolt and Joe. I became a teacher, married a lovely lady, had three wonderful children. I spent my life focusing on them, focusing on the positive. When you've lived through war, it makes you appreciate the peace of home and family. I kept my medals, including my Purple Heart, in a desk drawer. I didn't tell my children about it until near the end of my life when one of them came across it. I never talked about those days I spent fighting we talked about baseball, how to grill the perfect steak, how to grow the perfect tomato, the importance of voting, American things, the kinds of things that just might save your life one day.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to a very special episode of Storytown, Jonesboro's original storytelling radio show on WETS 89.5 FM out of Johnson City, Tennessee. And tonight we are honoring our veterans by telling some of their stories. And we're also honoring them with songs. And who better to lead our patriotic sing-along than the Jonesboro Novelty Band. Thank you. Thank you. And you all have song sheets, so we want you to sing along. And we'd like to dedicate tonight the music that we're going to play to the military families and the those men and women who served in the military because that's where we're able to do everything we're here tonight to do. So sing out loud, and if you don't think you can sing, sing anyway. Not too fast. I do. Forest, 
It is always a fun-filled night when we get a chance to sing along with the Jonesboro Novelty Band. We have so much fun, and we're going to do this again a little bit later in the show. That's right. But now we take you back to the Veterans Park and the names on the bricks. Now, this one here reads... Foy Estel Webb. I'm a 32-year-old farmer with 57 acres in Carroll County, Virginia, and the manager with two employees of the Hillsville Esso Station. I have plans to buy it when the owner retires in a few years, despite some health disabilities. I'm pretty successful taking care of my land and the business. My wife, Nina, helps me with the farming and works at the local hosiery mill. We've been married 15 years. It's just been the two of us, but we make a good little family, don't we, Nina? We haven't been blessed with children yet, but never say never. <laughs> we briefly fostered a couple of children, one baby for possible adoption. In the end, the mother decided to keep the baby. Now I say this to explain a series of events that leads this old farmer to be drafted into the war. It's just a money-hungry shenanigans is what it is. See, older men in their 30s or men with big families are usually not the first to be drafted into service, nor are men like me who would usually be considered 4F. But one day, my friend George dropped his car off to have it serviced. Boy, you know I'm on the draft board and your name came up. Now keep this confidential except for Nina, but you'll be receiving a draft notice in a month or so. Draft information is never disclosed until the written notices are received, but we've been friends a long time. And I'm not sure that the entire board has your best interest or even the country's best interest at heart with their decision. What do you mean? It's time to start getting your affairs in order. The draft board is well aware of your medical issues and that you would probably fail your physical. But some members have arranged a deal with Doc Burnett to give you a clean bill of health no matter what he finds. But why, why would they? Let's just say some well-connected men are trying to buy your prime 22-acre farm and are not in favor of your planned ownership of the Esso station when they'd like to put in another business. George paid his bill and left. I got to thinking. I'd already turned down all farm sale offers I received since the war started. My being suddenly drafted could give them the opportunity to get their hands on both properties. But now I had time to plan. After work, I drove up Main Street in my 1937 stick shift four-door black hardtop Oldsmobile and over to the hosiery mill to pick up Nina. We talked about George's news. I'm just fit to be tied. No, I'm fit to go hogtie those men on the draft board and Doc Burdett for going along with it. I could take all of them right now. <laughs> you most likely could. And then one of us would be overseas and the other would be in jail and they'd really get our property. Let's talk this through and outfox the foxes. We need to find a way to plan for my three years away overseas. I know my parents will help us. 
we can sell the property to them at a price they can afford and we'll put it in a provision that when you return, we'll buy it back for a reasonable price. That's a good idea. Meanwhile, we should update our wills. Oh, Foy, don't talk about that. You're coming home, I know it. Nina, we have to plan for this like anything else. It's no different from when we set it up after we got married. Yes, but this time... This time, we are just a little more aware of the fact that one day, we will meet our maker. I've already seen what some folks will do while I'm still here. I want to make sure you're protected while I'm away. And I'll arrange my rides for work to the mill. The church has a small bus. They pick up other folks who don't have gas rations or can't drive. I'll, I'll, get, out, I'll get out on their list and, and so I don't miss church and I'll be praying more than ever. I bought Nina a small pearl-handled Derringer pistol for the bedside table drawer and I taught her how to shoot it. Then the draft notice arrived. On July 20th, 1943, I took a few belongings and boarded the bus to Roanoke. Shortly after arrival, I failed my physical. However, the doctors decided my badly infected tonsils and bulging hernias could be fixed and that I might be healthy and strong enough to serve. They sent me to the newly rebuilt Camp Lee, Virginia for treatment. The doctors there snipped my tonsils and adenoids without anesthesia and, and then they repaired the hernias. The weekend after the surgery, Nina arrived for a weekend visit. And I lobbied for his rejection. The decision was to wait out this several week recuperation period and perform another physical. All that time, I was calling and writing letters to the local draft board members, making a case for him. On August the 9th, 1943, I was deemed physically fit to serve, placed on active duty, and attached to the Fort Belvoir Corps of Engineers. I then traveled to the East Coast to board a Navy ship for my overseas assignment, the Persian Gulf Command at Khorramshahr, Iran. Nina came out by bus and train for a short visit before I left. There were a lot of family members there to give the men a final send-off for their World War II journey. Everyone feared it might be their last visit together. That wasn't my mindset. I met Foy's training buddies, Frank and Jimmy, and their wives. We stayed in touch by letters and phone for many years afterward. Across the Atlantic, I sailed. I was excited to see the Rock of Gibraltar as we sailed into the Mediterranean Sea. We stopped once or twice somewhere on the north coast of Africa and again briefly at Tripoli to refuel and reprovision. We sailed into the Persian Gulf and joined the other soldiers and local staff at Truck Assembly Plant Number 2 in Khorramshahr, about 680 miles from Isfahan and Tehran, operated by U.S. and British troops. Some days we were blistering hot and other days we were drenched with pouring rain that left us in mud up to our knees and some vehicles in mud up to their axles. But we had troops to support, so we worked hard to supply the frontline troops with the dependable equipment to assault the opposing forces. Nina wrote me once a week. Sure enough, some interested buyers approached her about purchasing the farm and taking it off her hands because they heard I was off fighting. Weren't they surprised to learn that we no longer owned it? Then, about four months into my service, a very special letter arrived. It seems the hernia operation I had did more than repair my stomach problems. 
<laughs> Dear Foy, finally, after 15 long years, I'm expecting. I shouted from my work team for my work team to come over so I could read it to them. Now I had the determination Nina had. I would make it home at the end of this war, and I would be a father. It would take me three more years, but that's what I did. When the war ended, we disassembled the camp. Large dozers dug huge holes in the desert sand to bury the vehicles, tools, and equipment before we left. We packed our gear and flew home to New York City. The first thing I did was find a grocery store that had the two things I had missed the most. I bought a head of lettuce and a quart of buttermilk, and I felt like I was in heaven. <laughs> My buddies and I went to a Yankees game and watched Boston's Ted Williams hit a towering home run. Before long, I was back home to see my new baby boy, Foy Wesley. I called him Junior. I never did like my name and was not especially happy with Nina that she named him after me. Well, who else am I supposed to name him after? Your commanding officer? I adjusted to being a father bought the farm back for $600, took out a $4,000 loan to build my own store, gas, and service station next to our farmhouse on Route 52, the main auto and truck route south into and from North Carolina. Before long, another baby boy was born. I quit the hosiery mill to be a full-time mother, farmer, and storekeeper. Maybe my health and age should have kept me out of World War II. It didn't, and I was proud to serve. Foy did not talk about his time in the war, but his medals, which he kept in a wooden box in his sock drawer, tell a story of their own. Medal of Honor, the Good Conduct Medal, European African Middle Eastern Theater Ribbon, World War II Victory Medal, Medical Badge, Good Conduct Medical Badge, yes, there is much more to the name on this brick. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to Storytown, Jonesboro's original storytelling radio show on WETS 89.5 FM out of Johnson City, Tennessee. And as you can see, so are the members of the Jonesboro Novelty Band who are going to lead us in another sing-along. So for those at home, feel free to sing along with us. And those in the audience, you can find all the lyrics in your program. Let's sing for our veterans. I'm a Yankee She's my Yankee 
for the Jonesboro Novelty Band. It's always so much fun when they come out. And if you love having these sing-alongs, they're going to be with us again at the end of November for our um, Holidays Around the World sing-along together. So um, get your tickets for that, too. Um, up next, we have another story. We've got Linda Poland, who is up here, to, um, to tell us another wonderful story as we are walking through the Veterans Park. I walked through the Veterans Park and recognized several of the names. My family lived on the highway and the train track was across the way. Troop trains came through filled with teenagers, 18, 19, some just 20 years old, going off to war. They'd throw out little pieces of paper, pieces of paper with their names and the dress on it that said, write to me, I'm lonesome. I spent my whole time from 11 years old 
on writing letters to people I might never see. I heard, I heard from some of them, of course, but I always wondered about the ones I didn't hear from. Were they okay? I'd write letters saying, I saw your train go by and I'm wishing you well. I felt like it was my duty. I was a girl, I couldn't serve, and I was way too young to do much of anything else. So I wrote and I wrote, and I never knew if one of those letters might have come on a day when they really needed something. Anyway, that was just part of growing up here. Daddy was a picture, cared for and held and treasured. I didn't know him until I was older. I only knew him through his handwriting and the Polaroid snapshots he would send through the mail. I knew the uniform more than I knew his face. When he came home, I ran to every soldier who got off the bus, reached up to one, and said, Daddy? 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 Until the one who was my daddy, who also had a snapshot of me, reached down, picked me up, and held me. He said, I'm your daddy. It's so nice to meet you. And I said, it's nice to meet you too, daddy. I love you. There are some women's name on the bricks. We served too. I wanted to be a nurse. I always wanted to be a nurse. I took nursing classes while I was also in high school, and I was able to become a nurse shortly after graduating. I went where I thought I would be needed most. I joined the army to be a nurse in Vietnam. What do I remember? Everything. After my duty was complete, I didn't re-up. I stopped being a nurse. I stopped a lot of things for a while. I didn't see combat, but I treated and saw and mourned for what combat did to my patients, my boys. After some time, I did start doing things again, but first, I decided to go back to school. I wanted to teach history, so maybe we can learn from it. Here it is. This is your grandfather's brick. I've got a picture of him, fresh-faced, new buzz cut, ready to go off to war. Lloyd Barnett. I was a medic. I arrived January of 1970, only 19 years old. I had my training and the bag of supplies to carry with me everywhere. Now, I'd been in some firefights, and I was steeled up for what I had to do. Even got cavalier about it. We were training with those new lighter tanks, and they didn't seem too bad. And then one day we were making our way from one position to another, and the truck in front of us blew up. Bodies were flying everywhere. Nothing ever hit me quite like this incident. Now, like I said, I was used to the firefights, but the booby traps, you never get used to those. You never know where they'll be. You'll never know if the next step or the next bend in the road is going to be a mine or a bamboo spike in a pit. It blew up in front of my eyes. I ran to help the men who were on the truck. A couple of guys tried to hold me back in case of another mine, but I didn't care. 
All I was focused on was trying to help those screaming men, but in a minute or so, there was only one left screaming. There wasn't anything I could do for the other guys, but I worked on this one. I did everything I could, everything I knew how to do, but it wasn't enough. There wasn't enough in my bag to do what needed to be done. I worked on him for half an hour after he died, throwing punches at anyone who tried to pull me away. I finally walked away over in some elephant grass. I don't know for how long. That was 1970, the last time I ever cried. You won't find my name on a brick because it wasn't the United States military I joined, but that wouldn't keep me from finding my way here. In 1960, at the age of 15 years old, I kissed my mother goodbye, and with a small suitcase in my hand, I closed the garden gate behind me and strolled off quickly into a world of who knows what. I joined the Royal Air Force as a boy entrant. I'd been a wild rover for 24 years, serving in both the Air Force and the Army in England, Scotland, Outer Hebrides, Germany, Cyprus, Malta, Gibraltar, Aden, Bahrain, and with R&R visits to Nairobi and Mombasa in Africa. I haven't gone back, so I ain't gonna tell you all about them. In 1985, an advertisement appeared in one of the national daily newspapers seeking retired military personnel to work as teachers and as technical trainers at the Saudi Arabian National Guard School of Signals. I called and I was invited to attend a formal interview. January 1986, I was on my way to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. My role was to write programs for the training of young Saudi Bedouin men in the technical operation and repair of ground radio communications, as well as instructing using Jordanian translators. Life in Saudi Arabia was difficult, but livable. If you were an employee of a giant company, like Aramco, then you were living in a large American developed town. For us expatriate contractors, male and many female nurses, we lived in separate compounds, and the twain should never meet. <laughs> but if there's a will, there's always a way. <laughs> All of us enjoyed the money and had various reasons for being there. Debt, divorce, playing for kids, paying for kids' college fees, or even adventure. The one thing I believe we all had in common was loneliness from a history of previous failed relationships. Somehow the disconnect outside of Saudi Arabia became a connection in this wilderness. I personally connected with an American nurse, Kay. Kay brought me on vacation to America during the Ramadan break. We were involved in a car wreck and got married in the emergency wing of Holston Valley Hospital. <laughs> Kay was from this part of Tennessee. We were taken by ambulance to the hospital. She'd gone through the windshield and was nearly scalped. I stayed with her as much as they let me and slept on a sofa in the waiting area overnight 
About third, the third morning she was there, I was awakened at 8 a.m. Are you Graham? Oh, yeah. Well, get up and come with me. You're getting married. <laughs> I'm what? You're getting married upstairs right now. Apparently, Kay had disclosed the nature of our close relationship. And being a good tethered brother, Tennessee brother, he persuaded me to marry her. I thought I heard lock and load. <laughs> we had considered it. Here you go, and I brought the hospital chaplain with me. That evening, the doctor said he would put a cot alongside her bed on which I could sleep that night. I thanked him for his compassion. Then he said, I know it's your honeymoon, but tonight she really does have a headache. <laughs> the nursing staff also provided a wedding cake, great caring and a great sense of human, the humor. Her brother moved things on for us. I got my alien's green card, which was strange for me. I always thought I would end up in Australia or Canada, but never ever really thought about America. Now here I am in America looking for what I should do next. And by that, I mean earn some money. While working in Saudi Arabia, we all paid a tax to the Saudi government with the promise at the age of 65, we would qualify for a pension. It did not sit well with us, but we had no option. While Kay and I were living in the US, the Saudis decided to drop the tax and would return payments to all taxpayers. They were not making this known to people who had left the kingdom. I had just left and applied for my repayment and received mine here in America. It worked for me, so it should work for people wherever they were. I became a claims agent advertising in the USA Today and major regional newspapers. Requests for more information started coming in. The process was simple, yet there was no response from Saudi Arabia to my submitted applications, and I wasn't getting any commissions. Then Kay had an idea. Graham, a congressman named Jimmy Quillen, helped my family get hospital treatment for a seriously ill family member, which would be very costly. He responded, my family member was transported from Northeast Tennessee to Washington, D.C. at no cost to us. Maybe he can help you with this from his office in Kingsport. I had no appointment, but walked into his office one Saturday morning when he was back in town. He was very busy, but he said, excuse me, sir, Saudi Arabian, Arabia owns Americans a lot of money, and I have a way of getting some of that back. Here's a report I've re prepared for you. Well, thank you. I will read it going back to Washington on Sunday. I did not realize the value of that encounter with the congressman, but of course I knew it would be financially beneficial to me and others to receive their tax payments back. But the value I was about to learn of was that of the American culture, serving others. I got to meet with the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee to discuss this matter. Congressman Quillen had decided that I would be the best person to share the information. I was invited to the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. 
the symbol of the American people and our government, and the meeting place of the nation's legislature. Oh, if only I had realized what an honor it was, but I was still so new to this country. We spoke and he promised me he would speak with the Saudi Arabian diplomatic charge de affairs and would inform me of the results. I had a phone call from Washington a few weeks later, notifying me it would be receiving, it would be receiving returns from Saudi Arabia, so would the others. I was trying to help by filling out their forms and submitting them. It was not long before the Saudi Arabian government stated that they would no longer accept third-party requests and claims must now be made by individual personal applications. Kay and I were here for one year and things were not working out for us. We realized that had it not been for Saudi Arabia, our commonality of loneliness and the accident plus other differences, we would not be in this place. The marriage was dissolved amicably. Kay went back to Saudi Arabia to study and attain her master's degree, what she was always looking for, and later returning to Nashville, now married, and to continue her nursing career. As for me, I found things I'd always needed, but never knew. I found that God had a purpose for my life. And in this, I found the love of my life, Gail Miller Davis, a Johnson City Southern Belle with a true and lasting love built on faith and trust, shortly to celebrate 28 years of marriage. Also, I became an American citizen on May the 8th, 2002. This was my Mayflower moment and spiritual Independence Day. My ship had come in. I was born in a town 50 miles outside of Bristol in England, and now God brought me to a town 50 miles outside of Bristol, Tennessee. So now to close, I borrow a phrase from an illustrious playwright, producer, and director whose radiant smile creatively rests in the hearts of all who know her. We did it together! Thank you, Graham. I didn't write that last part, but thank you, Graham. <laughs> we are proud of the service that you've given to your new country and all the people that you've helped while you've been here. Jules, I'm standing here in the Veterans Park looking around and there are just so many, many bricks engraved with names. And this is just from the folks here in Washington County. The names are everywhere. And the stories are everywhere, waiting to be heard. Here's a name I recognize, Harold Broyles. Now, when I was a teenager, I rode my bicycle to deliver telegrams. That wasn't an easy job in World War II. Most of the time, I'd only have to deliver the hard telegrams to a family only once. But sometimes I had to make more than one trip. I remember Mr. Harold for this reason. It was 1945 and I was six years old. There was a knock on the door. It was a man with a telegram. No. No, I, I, I won't answer it. Mama, my knees are weak. Oh, June, it, it, it could be anything. It, it, it could be. Well, maybe he'll just go away. The telegraph man might go away, but the message won't. Come on, let's go together. 
Miss June, this, this is for you. Oh, Harold. Mama, it says his plane was shot down over the water. They haven't found him. He's listed as missing in action. Aunt June said she knew Harold was gone, not just lost. We went to be with family at Washington College, and everyone was talking really quietly. Us kids had to stay outside and play. People tried to make Aunt June feel better, but how do you make anyone feel better when they've lost someone forever? Don't give up hope, June. We don't know anything for sure. Mama. I don't want to cling on to this thin hope. Listen, June, sometimes that's all we have to cling to. So don't let, don't you let go. Because if he's out there, you know he hasn't let go. Mama, you're right. You're so right. Let's go to church right now. I remember we went to the Presbyterian church right away and prayed. I'm not sure if Aunt June really believed, but she hoped. And we kept going, and we kept praying, and she kept hoping, if not believing. And one day... I'll, I'll get it. Miss June, this is for you. <laughs> I knew it! Mama! Mama, I knew it! They found him! Harold! He's coming home! They rang the church bells for joy. A little later, the church bells would ring again, loudly and more passionately than ever. When the war ended, they rang the bells, and we all lined up and down Main Street, pouring ourselves like water into the mouths of our churches. There wasn't an empty pew in the Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and any church on any road in Jonesboro. Johnson City. Bristol. Anywhere. There was a collective cheer around the country and then a collective silence as we looked around and felt the loss of who was no longer with us. We would return to the streets, to our same homes, to our same jobs, but it would be forever different. Thank you, Uncle Harold, and all of the veterans, not just here in Washington County, but all over. We appreciate your service. We do. Now, this is all the time we have for our show tonight, but obviously not all of the stories to tell. I invite you to visit the Veterans Park here in Washington County or one in your own community and take a look at the names, all of the names, how many of them. And remember, there is so much more behind the name engraved on a brick or on a wall. Listen closely, and they'll tell you their stories. Thank you for coming out tonight, and to our servicemen and women, thank you for all you've done for us. Good night. Yeah.